everyone, and welcome to another episode of No Doubt, where we will look at current events, people, and everyday issues and language from a Shin Buddhist perspective, and then talk about in-depth points that delve more deeply into the doctrine of this tradition. My name is Takashi Miyagi, and I will be your host. Let's get started. Today I'd like to focus on groups that willfully take part in misinformation. These are worldviews that try to influence the general population based on conspiracy theories. How can we look at this new wave of people who are intentionally looking at the world in such a way that is completely unfounded and based on conspiracy theories? Something that I saw in this documentary that talks about this um, is that according to one commentator, the American dream um, is something that uh, people hoped to be able to accomplish in their lives and through their hard work. In other words, if I work hard and lead a life that is strictly disciplined and ambitious, then no matter what my socioeconomic status previously was, no matter what color skin I have or where I come from, that I would be able to achieve success and live a life of wealth and abundance. This is the American dream and what America was supposed to be uh, providing me. This is what the, uh, what the American values is and what America was founded on. So when many people don't achieve this dream, then what happens is that many people get angry and frustrated with their lives because they were uh, they are unable to achieve the success that they were promised. Of course, this is assuming that I've done the hard work, right? But really, who here doesn't feel like they work hard, right? But this issue of entitlement will be left for another time. Right now, I want to talk about this idea of not achieving the American dream. So with this anger and frustration, then there must be someone or something that is keeping me from being able to attain this success. There's got to be some reason, other than me of course, some reason that is hindering my success and the wealth and abundance that is due to me. This is the fertile ground in which conspiracy theories can take hold because with conspiracy theories, now people have a reason to believe that they are being kept from being able to attain success and wealth. These conspiracy theories fill in the gap of wondering why I'm not being able to achieve the American dream that was promised to me. In other words, there is something going on in the upper levels of government or those with power and behind closed doors that is keeping the rest of us hardworking people from being able to attain success. Someone or some group of people are conspiring. These people with power and influence, they are conspiring to keep other decent, hardworking folks like us from being able to reap the benefits that we sow. So then these people buy into conspiracy theories and ideas that are completely unfounded with no evidence whatsoever. These people lose touch with reality because now whenever something doesn't go their way or fit their worldview or fit their narrative, then it must be some kind of conspiracy that is keeping them from attaining the truth or success 
that is due to them. So keep in mind, my, my point in talking about this issue isn't to call out a specific group of people who lean on a certain si on, the, on a certain side of the political spectrum, right? After all, either side and everything in between is susceptible to believing in this way. Why do I know that? Because we are human. Because we are people with attachments. So long as we have these attachments, we are going to see the world the way we want to see it. So then... What's the Jodashinshu take on this issue of cult-like groups, this cult-like way of thinking? These groups that purposely skew the worldview of hundreds, if not thousands, of people by fabricating stories and promoting lies as truth in order to cause confusion and chaos in society. Well, I think it's important to note that, again, we see the world that we want to see regardless of who they are and what political views they may have. We wear goggles, essentially. Goggles that perceive the world in a way that is based on our egocentric selves. And this has very real consequences in that it does a number of things. First, I see the world in which I will most benefit from, right? This means that I try to find ways in which I can further my personal agenda of accruing as much material things and benefit to the self. Everything from um, money to honor to recognition to esteem. So for example, if we perceive someone to be successful, we are naturally attracted to them, right? Because we believe that by acting like that person, by emulating that person's mannerisms or habits, that we too will become respected and successful. We calculate different ways in which we will benefit the self. So this way of thinking shapes our worldview. Second, I see the world in which I am right and therefore good. And what this subsequently means is that someone else is wrong and therefore evil. When we fail to see the blind passions within ourselves, when we fail to see that we are fallible human beings who make mistakes and have, att have attachments just like everyone else, then it becomes super easy to find blame in others. It's always easy to find blame in others, to ridicule and critique, to bash and scathe other people. It's damn near impossible to do that to the self, right? The ego treats it like uh, it is shooting itself in the foot, right? It's not going to happen, right? But this way of thinking of the self is right, the other is wrong, is what starts wars. It starts arguments and disputes and confrontations, right? We as Americans, and I'm including myself here, of course, have to get over this hump of infallibility. And this is what uh, is killing us as a community, as a country, as a society. This idea of, I cannot be wrong. I cannot be evil. And what's related to this second point is this, this, um, this idea of playing the victim. This is the idea that because we can't see ourselves as being fallible, well then it must mean that I am the victim and there is an oppressor. Many times people will take on the role or portray themselves as being the victim when really they are anything but. 
For example, um, we saw this when this um, lady who happened to be Caucasian was walking in the park and she calls the cops on a man who happened to be black, right? Because um, he asked her to put her dog on a leash while he was out bird watching at the park and she was on a walk, right? So she gets offended by this, quote unquote, offended, right? Uh, and then flips out, right? And then calls the cops um, saying she's getting harassed by a big, scary black man, right? That has questionable intentions, right? Well, eventually what happens is that um, uh, she later apologizes for her actions only after she got fired from the company that she worked for. But lo and behold, right, she goes on to then sue the company that she worked for for wrongful termination, right? So pretty genuine apology there. Um, I think not, right? So this is one example of, of playing the victim by calling the cops when she knew she, she wasn't in any real danger. She just didn't want to eat, I mean, um, she didn't want to <laughs> get called out for doing something wrong, right? By another person, let alone a black guy, right? So that's, that's this idea of victimhood here. So uh, returning back to my original conversation, um, third is believing that I am seeing the world in an objective way that is most logical and reasonable. Therefore, everyone else must see the world in which I am seeing it because I am the one that is being objective about it. I am the one that is being truthful, right? Other people are using their subjectivity uh, or they're mixing in their subjectivity with a little bit of objectivity. At any rate, they're using their subjectivity to see the world. And that's why they are not completely right. I am most objective. I am most logical. I am most justified. And that's this third consequence of the egocentric worldview. Just to give you an example of this, um, I'm currently reading a fascinating book by um, Chen Xinghan called um, Be the Refuge, which I should have read um, fully by now. Sorry about that. <laughs> but um, but it's it's a great book. Um, please read it. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's a fascinating book. Every page is just is really great. Um, but anyway, and in this book, she, she touches upon this idea that devotional and ritual practices found within Buddhism are somehow deemed superstitious and therefore, quote unquote, not real Buddhism, so to speak, right? Whereas this idea of taking only the philosophical points and um, using sitting meditation to be somehow the true authentic and pristine version of Buddhism because it is the logical teaching that Shakyamuni Buddha himself did and taught. So again, here we see this idea that American Buddhism defined as this quote-unquote logical and practical Buddhism is the right and most objective form of Buddhism. And all other forms of Buddhism have over the years gone astray from the original quote-unquote or pristine Buddhism. You know, it utterly surprises me that here in the 21st century, we are still combating this false narrative of what Buddhism is supposed to be. And by false narrative, what I mean here is that uh, Buddhism is supposed to be this monolithic tradition um, that is somehow, uh, that has somehow this pristine form of Buddhism that we all need to get back to, right? And who makes that decision? That's, that's the question that I want to ask. 
you know, are, who are you to tell me what um, Buddhism is or is not, right? I've been studying this tradition and uh, I, I, I know what I've seen, you know. Why is it that I have to be subjected to engage in practices that you're telling me that I have to do or because that's what your image of Buddhism is, right? Um, so that's, that's something that I don't um, uh, agree with. Um, Shinan Shonin in his works, if you care to look this up, this is on the Collected Works of Shinan on page 614. Um, he states the following. He says, um, Why do you obstruct and confuse me with what is not the essential practice corresponding to my conditions? What I desire is the practice corresponding to my conditions. That is not what you seek. What you desire is the practice corresponding to your conditions. That is not what I seek. Each person's performance of practices in accord with his aspirations unfailingly leads to rapid emancipation. If you desire to undertake practice, by all means, follow the method of practice corresponding to your conditions, your own conditions. In return for a little effort, you will gain great benefit. End quote. And what he's trying to say here is that there are a bunch of different paths to truth. I have found the path that works for me, right? You have found the path that works for you. You should take that and take it to its fullest, right? And it will the, the end of that path will provide its wisdom for you. But don't impose your path on me. I have found the path for me. The path for me is Tariki, Nembutsu, right? That's the path that has uh, worked for me, for this bombu self that I am. And that is what Shinashoni states here. And so uh, that's the position that I take, you know, in, in terms of Buddhism being a monolithic tradition. No, it's not a monolithic tradition. And so don't impose your thoughts on what Buddhism is supposed to be onto me. You know, I have my path. I chosen my path, right? And that's the path of Tariki Honga. Right. And so um, that's that's uh, the, the this idea that um, there is this monolithic tradition, is this false narrative that I uh, um, uh, I utterly disagree with. And um, I am trying to combat uh, here in uh, American Buddhism today. So I've said this in many episodes before, but um, I'll say it again here. Um, don't buy into this narrative. We are an 800-year tradition, counting just from Shinran Shonin, right? So be proud of where you come from. Be proud of your sutra chants that you do. Be proud of bowing in front of the Buddha. This is our identity, and don't let anybody tell us otherwise. If history has taught us anything, it's to question the person that thinks he or she is the most logical. Because if you really think about it, the most quote-unquote logical person always fails to see the blind passions that lurks beneath the foundation of his logical thinking. And just to give you an example, um, imagine that you are building a house. Imagine that you're building your ideal home, whether that's a cottage with a white picket fence that overlooks the, the bay, or if it's a nice 300 room mansion or whatever you would like, right? With a water fountain in the front or whatever. Um, just imagine the perfect house that you have, right? Or that you want to build. And you build that house on top of quicksand. It won't matter how great how beautiful, 
how immaculate your house may look, right? As long as it's built on top of quicksand, as long as it is built on shaky foundation, your house is not going to last. That's the same idea with this human logic and human reasoning. Human logic and reasoning is great. It's fantastic. It's got us, you know, everything from penicillin to uh, our iPhones that we use, right? And it's made our lives much more convenient. The longevity of, longevity of human life has been, uh, has been extended. We live uh, in a much more uh, comfortable uh, fashion than we did a long time ago, right? So I'm not trying to discount science or logic or anything like that, right? But the same technology, the same wit and logic that got us the iPhone and the laptops and the whatnot is the same logic and wit that got us the atomic bombs and the drones that that carry out signature strikes uh, that can release untold amounts of suffering on the people around us. So that is what I'm talking about with this building of uh, of of this of our human intellect and knowledge but it's building on top of shaky foundation and that shaky foundation is the foundation of blind passions and that is what buddhism is trying to get us to focus our attention on i'm not saying don't be logical right i am not saying buddhism is not compatible with science i'm i'm not saying that at all right all i am saying is that as long as we are beings with blind passions or beings with attachments, we will use that logic for an ulterior motive, which almost always is for egocentric purposes. So just to recap what the consequences of egocentric thinking are, uh, one is we will try to find a way that benefits the self the most. Two is I am right and good, the other is wrong and evil, and one perfect way of portraying this is that I am the victim. And three, I am the most logical and justified. And therefore, my way of looking at the world is the best way. My way is the most truthful. All of these components put together make up our goggles, the way we view the world. So when we look at the world, everything, and I mean everything, is judged based on this standard, based on our goggles. Everything from where you go to get your favorite cup of joe, to where you get your gasoline, to what kinds of people you are, you are attracted to, to the kinds of clothes that you wear, to your political views. Everything is judged based on this standard that you have. How then do we get past it? Well, Jodo Shinshu says, we can't, <laughs> we can't get over this. But coming to this admission is half the battle. Actually, it's all of the battle, right? When we come to see that we cannot ever take these goggles off, that's when the real conversation can begin. Because that's the moment when we realize that we cannot realize. That's the moment where panic sets in. It's kind of like, you know, realizing that you're never getting out of prison. Not that I've ever been there, but, you know, it's, it's kind of like realizing that or that you're never going to break free from the straitjacket that someone puts you in. You know, there's, there's only this sense of utter hopelessness that you can't get out of this maze, that you're stuck in it, right? 
But it, it is in this utter hopelessness that the world of truth emerges. The world of light emerges. But something has to bring us to the brink of this utter collapse. Until then, the world of Jodo Shinshu, or the world of religion for that matter, will never emerge. It will never emerge. It will always be some kind of random fantasy-like story. The lines of the sacred text will never jump out of the book to grab you, so long as you read it as some kind of instruction manual. into Nintendo and stuff, right? And I got a new Nintendo game. I'm dating myself here. Um, but when you get a Nintendo game or SNES game, right? Only an idiot would read the instructions manual first in order to learn how to play the game. Who does that? You play the game first. And then only when you get really stuck on something, right? Do you then kind of reluctantly crack out the instructions manual and, and read it? You know, that's, that's what this is kind of like. When we first read the sacred text, whatever that sacred text may be for you. For us, Jodo Shinshu Buddhists, it's the Three Pure Land Sutras, the Seven Masters, Shinran Shonin's writings, and Nenyo Sama's writings. When we first read them, um, quite frankly, it's a bunch of crock, <laughs> right? I mean, we think to ourselves, you know, what is this? What the hell is this? This is all a bunch of mumbo jumbo that has nothing to do with me right now, right? We thought that I thought this, you know, in all through grade school, you know, and seeing these things, that's what I thought. When I hear the Dharma talks, that's what I heard. All I heard is nothing but gibberish, right? But this tradition, if you think about it, is still alive to this day. Why is that? It's because people now are suffering from the same problems that people then did. The problem of the human condition. It's only when we come to awaken to this human condition through some kind of catastrophic and traumatic event in our lives, such as a death in the family, that we come to see the futility of our efforts to try to understand all of this. And this is what Shina Shoni came to realize on Mount Hie after 20 years up on that mountain, trying to attain enlightenment that he so desperately wanted. Every human being will hit this glass ceiling at some point. And, and, that, and that's why you know, it states in the three treasures, quote, difficult is it to hear the teachings of the Blessed One. Now we hear it. Blessed One here being Shakyamuni Buddha. We hear it because we are ready for it. It's only when you get really stuck in a rut, in a moment of utter hopelessness, 
when you realize that you have nowhere else to go, no more moves, no more tricks, that you are in the corner, that you then put your guard down to then rely on something other than you. In our most vulnerable moment, when we are not ready, that is when we are most ready to hear the calling voice of great compassion. And this is called in Japanese, omakase suru, to rely on that which is not you. Only then will the content of the sacred texts jump out to you. But until then, all bets are off. You may as well read the dictionary. Or it's as if you're reading the recipe to the dish you want to eat without ever actually cooking the damn meal, right? So getting back to my original point about talking about how we as Jodo Shinshu Buddhists should view this issue of why people are susceptible and vulnerable to believing conspiracy theories and falsehoods is that we fail to see the goggles that we are wearing, the goggles of egocentricity. Instead, we place blame on others. Instead, we point the finger at other people and say they are the ones causing my misfortunes and keeping me from attaining wealth and success. It's the immigrants that are taking my jobs. It's the black people. It's the Jews. It's the Asians, the women, the tree huggers, the Republicans, the Democrats, the etc., etc., right? Everyone but me. Anyone but me. There's a Japanese phrase that I came across um, the other day that I thought was really cool and relevant、um, to this conversation, and it reads like this. Uh, which means that、uh, the person who thinks he knows himself the best, that's the most suspect. Which, in this context,、uh, in our conversation here, would probably mean more something more along the lines of, quote, the person thinks,、um, the person who thinks that he is absolutely, absolutely right is the most suspicious. So, the Jodashins you take on these、um, conspiracy theorists would be to, that the most appropriate way to go would be to go based on the facts as much as humanly possible. And those facts are achieved、uh, with falsehoods mitigated through scientific facts and communication, communicating with each other. And I'm not talking about communication as in I'm having a fake dialogue with you and I pretend to listen to you while I simply wait my turn to state my talking points, right? But a real conversation, a conversation where we show our vulnerabilities by being open to the fact that we can be wrong or that the other person that we are arguing with can be equally right. That would be the best way. To approach a situation that is founded on the principle of recognizing that this self is fallible. This would be the Jodo Shinshu approach, which is what many people are already doing,、um, but I'm just simply reaffirming that point from a Jodo Shinshu perspective.
you for tuning in today to another episode of No Doubt. I am your host, Takashi Miyagi. As the Master Shandao states, quote, May we together awaken the Bodhi mind and be born in the realm of serenity and joy. End quote. Take care, Dharma friends. Until next time, Namo Amidabutsu.